Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled, It's Exceedingly Close, Part 3. And with this, God willing, we're going to conclude Chapter 25, which is quite a feat, as we'll discuss hopefully at the end of, at the, end of the class. I'd also like to point out, I think tonight we're going to cover two very great questions um, that come quite often and hopefully we'll be able to address these two and really leave us with some deep food for thought. The first, the first question is one that is often asked. You know, we pray three times a day. Three times a day we pray Shachris Menachem I understand that we ask Hashem three times He should revive the dead. Three times a day. That's... I understand three times a day we mention that we want Hashem to bring Mashiach. But I don't understand. Three times a day you're asking God to forgive you. Are you such a big sinner that you sin? You know, we dive in Mincha and Mairev, in many shuls, they dive in five minutes, five minutes apart. How many times can you sin when you're sitting down during those five minutes listening to the rabbi's speech, unless you snore the whole time, maybe? But generally, like, Literally, why are we, why are we davening three times a day and we have one of the blessings, the sixth blessing from the 18 in Shmona Esrei, Islach Lanovinu, pardon us our Father, for we have sinned. Okay, so once a day you should ask forgiveness if needed. But three times a day is the question, Dr. Yosef, it's a clear question. Sorry, the question's clear. But the answer is unbelievable. And with our introduction previously in Tanya, it's crystal clear. To Hashem, there's no such thing as time. And so this, it's incredible. A moment of our time is forever. And as we've discussed previously, a Jew eating kosher once, in heaven it's, it's eternal. He's he has eternally eaten kosher. Unfortunately, the opposite also exists. The Jew eating non-kosher once, that's also eternal. As we discussed last week. But what this explains to us is to be separated from God for a second is too much. Since everything, Hashem has no time. So everything we do down here Although to us it looks limited in time, but in truth, every moment isn't, is an eternal moment. Right? That's a paradox. I understand. It's hard for us to understand. I can't understand it at least. I can't explain to you how... I, I could tell you the words, but I can't understand how on the one hand we're living in time, and when, you, when you, you're eating this chip, you're eating it tonight, Monday night, at 8.16pm and yet in the same moment to Hashem it's as if you're eating the chip for your entire life. Okay. I, can't, I can't... It's something that we can't fully grasp. One moment, I'll take the question. But, but this is a fact. That everything we do here is eternal. So therefore, to separate from Hashem for one moment is a, is a moment of eternity. We, we don't even want to separate from Hashem for a moment. And now I understand why we ask forgiveness three times a day. 
Because yes, even if we've, God forbid, done something small, but we don't want that small moment of eternity to exist. If we were worried about punishment, reward and punishment, okay, so then at the right before you pass away, you ask, but you ask Hashem for forgiveness. But that's not what life is about. Life is not about reward and punishment. Life is about something much deeper. It's about connecting with the in, with the Ain Sof, with Hashem. And if that's the case, then a small moment in time is too much for us. So why do we pray three times a day? Why are we constantly repeating ourselves? The answer is because a moment, the smallest moment, is too much to be separated from God. It's a very deep thought. Yes, David. We have two systems operating. The one that's created for us by Hashem, in which time exists so that we can order our existence. But we have to bear in mind that the other system, which does not directly exist for us, is that Hashem existed before time. He exists during what we regard as time, and He will exist after time is over. That's a completely different concept. And so consequently, within that concept, Time is irrelevant. If I existed before time, during time, and after time ends, then the relationship of time means nothing. Agreed. I, I agree with that, that point, yeah. So we're going to begin in chapter 25, page 110, left column, bottom paragraph. Again, page 110, left column, Bottom paragraph, this union is eternal. Do you got it? Do you see it? And we're continuing saying that a Jew, it's possible for us to do every positive precept because we tell ourselves if we're willing to die for Hashem, if we're willing to die in order not to separate from Hashem, how much more we should be willing to give up a small pleasure in order to create an everlasting connection with Hashem. Again, the logic is, if we're willing to give up our soul for Hashem, not to be separate from Hashem, how much more so to connect eternally with Hashem, we should be willing to give up on a small, minute pleasure. And we're continuing now to say, this union is eternal. It's eternal. In the upper spheres, for He, blessed be He, and His will are above time. Hashem is above time, and so is His revealed will. What is His revealed will? His revealed will manifest in His Word, which is the Torah, eternal. The Torah is also eternal, as it is written, but the Word of God shall stand forever. Udvar Hashem Yakum Hashem's Word is eternal. And His words are living and enduring. And He will not, not alter or change His law forever. The Torah is eternal. And this is basically the bottom line of, of the Torah. Every word the Torah said is forever. If you saw the, uh, I, the, the introduction I wrote to this month's, news, this month's newsletter, it's all about MS. As we've discussed before, MS is the first letter of the Aleph, but Aleph, it's the last letter, the Tuf, and the middle letter, the Mem. Truth is eternal. The Torah, if the Torah is true, it's eternal. And I got a text from someone, a fantastic point, and he pointed out, he said, I should have added another detail in it. What did I miss? He said, truth and life go together. When the Torah, whenever you see the word truth, you see life. Why? Because if something is true, it's living. If something is true, it's living. Yeah. 
So the Torah is true, the Torah is forever. If you do something, if you do a good deed, it's an eternal good deed. However, but however, here below, the union is within the limits of time. You did a mitzvah, but you, the mitzvah lasted in our world only for a moment, persisting only during such time when one is occupied in the study of Torah or in the performance, per, performance of a commandment. For afterwards, if someone did a mitzvah, and afterwards, if he engages in anything else, he is here below, separated from the higher unity. So while you're doing a mitzvah, you're connected with Hashem, but then a moment later, if you're doing something else, you're now you're all of a sudden separated. <coughs> this is so, when do you separate from Hashem? When He occupies Himself with altogether vain things that are utterly useless for the divine service. In other words, it's not saying that every time you do a mitzvah, the next moment you're separated. No. But if you do a mitzvah, the next moment you're doing something, very strong words, utterly useless for the divine service. Okay, that's quite extreme. You're doing something that has no positive attribute for Hashem. So then you've at that moment separated yourself from Hashem. Utterly useless. Nevertheless, don't worry, you're not cut off from Hashem if someone did a mitzvah and a moment later. He was literally wasting his life. Should he later repent and return to the service of God? What is, does it mean to repent to Torah and prayer and ask forgiveness of God for not having engaged in the Torah? When he could have done so, God will pardon him. It's not saying God may pardon him. God will pardon him. If someone did a mitzvah again, and a moment later he was doing something utterly useless, and then a moment later he repented, Hashem will pardon him. But then what if he keeps in that cycle? <coughs> We're going to talk about that momentarily. I want to know what happens if it's like just that. You're saying no matter what he does, that he's going to be forgiven, no matter how bad that is, no matter how much he hurt somebody, he can still be forgiven. So I need to clarify, thank you. Here we're talking about, if someone transgressed a positive command, hurting someone is a negative, that's a whole different ballgame. We were discussing, you're doing something utterly useless. When you hurt somebody. No, no, no. That, that's not utterly useless. That's harm, harmful. Mm-hmm. Utterly useless means that you were just, you were... Watching TV. Uh, watching TV, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was say watching Super. I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you're not doing something harmful. I repent. <laughs> the Torah tells us, the Gemara, and we're, we're actually going to quote momentarily, if you look in uh, note 14, Yomoth 86a, the Talmud explains, if someone transgressed a positive command, so repentance will always forgive them. But if you've done a negative commandment, you've, you've hit someone, you've harmed someone, that's a whole different story. And you know what Hashem often tells us? Hashem says, I can't forgive you if the person you harmed has not forgiven you. 
It's a very important thing. That's why before Yom Kippur, why is it so important we need to go ask everyone forgiveness? Because Hashem says, I can't, I, I can't forgive you for hurting someone else. He has to forgive you. So back to your point, no, you don't just ask forgiveness for hurting someone and get forgiven. Okay. Yeah. Well, also, just because God forgives, that doesn't necessarily, may not necessarily be in this world, right? I mean, it could be, I mean, it could be that there could still be some sort of divine punishment, but, but, in, but, in your, but your soul is forgiven or something like that. Sometimes, forget, right, there's two separate things. There's forgiveness, and then there is cl a cleansing. And being forgiven doesn't mean you're not dirty. Right. You could still be dirty and need a certain cleansing. Or a correction. Term, correction, right. But wouldn't we for sure still be dirty? Because what we've done lasts forever. Hashem is able to remove that forever. What if somebody does something, you know, before Yom Kippur, you're supposed to forgive them, right? If they come and ask for forgiveness. And if they come and ask for forgiveness genuinely, and it's something that you can forgive, mm -hmm. then you forgive. Right. But if it's something that, you know, they're still nasty about, well, God forbid, something you cannot forgive. Yeah. You shouldn't have to forgive it just because... I mean, I get, I get the idea. I just don't... I still think that it, it's about what happened. There are certain things that are unforgivable. Yeah, and, and the, I, I don't want to completely digress to that conversation, but I will tell you, there's a full chapter in Shulchan Aruch which talks about what... In the Tanya? In the Shulchan Aruch. In the Shulchan Aruch. Actually, the author of the Tanya also has a section, full chapter, all of, in, in, the, in his Code of Jewish Law, all about forgiveness and uh, wow. what's, a, what's appropriate. And it's, quite, it's quite fascinating, yeah. I, I encourage you to read it. So let's, let's gather back. So, if someone has transgressed a positive command. What's the positive command? The positive command is to learn Torah day and night, to connect with Hashem constantly. And he's done something utterly useless. You say, don't worry, if you repent, no problem, Hashem will pardon you. To quote the rabbis, this is what the Talmud says, if one has transgressed against a positive precept, this we're talking about the a mitzvah saseh, but has repented. He is pardoned on the spot. No questions asked. Aha! And now we'll understand what I began the class with. Therefore, they instituted, the rabbis instituted the blessing of Salah Lanu Forgive Us to be recited three times daily. Why so much? Because we're not talking about the sin of we're not talking about a, a sin of doing something in a, of eating something inappropriate or, or like Liz mentioned earlier of hitting or hurting no no 
for the sin of neglecting the Torah, which the Talmud says is a sin which no one can escape each day. How could you not, so to say, neglect the Torah? If you let your mind slip for a moment, you've neglected it. The Talmud itself tells us it's, impo- it's based practically impossible for us not to slip for a moment. Therefore, because it's so simple, good evening, because it's so simple to slip, the rabbi said three times a day, constantly beg Hashem to forgive you that this eternal slip <laughs> is removed. Rabbi? Yes, please. Is it, can, I know this is a tangent, but is it considered in the rabbinic world that this, that this transgression of neglecting the Torah is more common now because of technology and the, in other words, it seems like people have the ability to be more focused when there was no TV, internet, radio, because they say that people get less, <coughs> less focused all the time. Right. So wouldn't it, wouldn't it therefore be that this transgression would also be happening more often? I mean, I think that's a good observation that today it's even harder for us to remain focused to Torah study. I think, I think that's a good observation. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going into that. It seems like somebody living in the Middle Ages could get sidetracked from somebody walking down the road and lost and lose focus. So, but here is the, here's the... Here's what we're saying. And I could say this from the educational standpoint of today's youth. It used to be that, taking exactly your example, you'd go outside maybe and see something inappropriate. Today, you're not outside. You're seeing it in your bed. The kids are seeing it while they're in the bathroom. So there's no outside. So unfortunately, the outside is inside. And this is what we really need to stand strong is keeping the outside outside and the inside inside. So um, we, we unfortunately are seeing a rise in f- certainly our lack of concentration. I think that's what studies are showing. But additionally, we're seeing that we're, we're I, I, I'm certainly going to include myself. You know, I'm wasting a ton of time looking at social media or... Uh, you know, just there's so much out there that we feel like we need to follow that it's certainly not Torah study. Of course, you, did that. you do, got, you got me thinking about something else. And I guess Jews in some countries might, will still have that problem. If you're, if you're concerned about your very survival, yeah. if you're in some ghetto somewhere, you aren't going to be focused. You're going to be focused on survival. That's really a fascinating point because survival is is certainly part of serving Hashem. It's interesting. In other words... So you're forgiven because you're... You're not forgiven. You're you're doing something holy. Yeah, you have to. You know, that's... But uh, I do do believe in our society, in our our today's world, without without question, um, we're living in a challenging time when it comes to remaining focused. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it up. Now, similar to the blessing of repentance that we say three times a day, similarly, the daily burnt offering used to bring atonement for neglect of the positive prefix. 
meaning that, again, they would bring sacrifices twice a day, um, and that would be asking Hashem to forgive us for lack of connection to Him throughout the day. You brought this up previously, Sandra, Sarah, and, and we mentioned this last week, or perhaps two weeks ago, that if someone says, I'm going to sin because I know that Hashem will forgive me if I ask forgiveness, then they're not forgiven. If you make a condition and you, if you sin, then you ask forgiveness is one thing. But if you have real chutzpah, you say, right now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to waste my time doing absolutely nothing. If you do something absolute, if you're relaxing to serve Hashem, it's, it's fine. But I want to use the wording here. You're doing something utterly useless for the divine service. Reading but People you, magazine. Like <laughs> and you're doing it because you say, why? Yeah. <laughs> because Hashem is going to forgive me. So then you're not forgiven. So if we're praying three times a day to Hashem to forgive us, doesn't that sound like we're sinning with the plan to ask forgiveness? It's like, don't worry whatever's going to happen because in about an hour we're going to daven again. So here we clarify, we say, no, this is not the same as saying I will sin and repent afterwards. Unless at the time he is committing the sin, he relies on subsequent repentance and sins because of it. As explained elsewhere. In other words, if you say, it's just impossible for me to save myself, for me not to sin, so I'm constantly going to ask Hashem for forgiveness, that's fine. But if at the moment of sin you're like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to enjoy the sin, so then we say, okay, then it's not enough. Let's recap, and then we'll take some questions. In, in summary, last week we discussed how every positive command, all we need to do to do it is remind ourselves that we would be willing to give up our lives for Hashem, not to separate from Hashem for a minute. How much more so to give up on a little pleasure should we be willing To how much more so in order to connect with Hashem eternally should we be willing to give up on some pleasure. And we've added now that everything we do is eternal. And because it's eternal, a separation from Hashem with even a momentary separation from Hashem is too much. And therefore we constantly ask Hashem, forgive us and don't let anything separate us. Are there any questions? No questions. Fantastic. With this, we'll now lead up to the final item of chapter 25 and the final item of this entire section. You know, this really takes us back to the Shema. I must, if I'm talking about Shema, I need to tell you, I have in my card, in my pocket, the most fascinating business card I've gotten. I'll read it to you. There's a school in South, in South Korea called the Shema School. Here, it's called King's Kids Shema Elementary School. Is it a Hawaiian school? No, it's actually not a Jewish school. Oh. And they came to visit Maimonides last Wednesday. And uh, I'm like, Shema? Shema, I'm like, where does that come from? They're like, you don't use Deuteronomy. I'm like, oh, Shema? Uh, you know, I was like, I couldn't believe it. 
they named, the school is named after the Shema prayer. Uh, it's a school of 17 kids, fast, and it was a very fascinating conversation. I actually learned a lot from it. Um, it was interesting. I mean, they, they actually, they, they want to kind of model after our school, yeah. but... Are they local or are they from Korea? No, a group of five people flew from South Korea, South Korea to America to wow. try... But, but what I wanted to share, what was fascinating... The principal's a Korean. Hmm. Uh, it's, this is in South Korea. Yeah, the name is Korean, so I assume that that's... Yeah. that's so, what is the Shema school. And so what, why did I bring it up? That was on a side note. I wanted to talk about the Shema, the Shema prayer. In the Shema prayer, we, ask, we accept the yoke of heaven. Now, why do you need to accept the yoke of heaven? Generally, we say you need to accept the yoke of heaven to be willing to do whatever Hashem says at any cost, even your own life. We learn, the Gemara tells us, you should be willing to serve Hashem even if you have to give up all your money, even if you have to give up your soul, even if you have to give up all your possessions, serve Hashem. But now here's the catch. Moshe Rabbeinu, is, where does Moshe say this Shema? He says it in Deuteronomy. The whole Deuteronomy was said in under 40 days. Moshe Rabbeinu, it's his farewell speech. He starts Deuteronomy on Rosh Chodesh Shvat, and he ends it when he passes away 37 days later on, later on the seventh day of Adar. So the whole Deuteronomy is, is the, in time, took the shortest amount of time, it took about 37 days. And in this 37 day period, Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people, Shema Yisrael, accept the yoke of heaven. But there's a big question. What's the question? The question is, when do you need to accept the yoke of heaven? You need to accept the yoke of heaven when you're being threatened with your life. But Moshe Rabbeinu, at the same time, is telling them, accept the yoke of heaven. He tells them, but do not worry. No one's going to harm you. Listen to this. He says, Lo ish No one will stand up against you. God, your God, will cast terror of you and dread of you on all the inhabitants of the land which you, upon which you will dread has he spoke concerning you don't worry, no one's going to harm you miraculously this, the city of Yericho is going to fall into your hands the whole land is going to become yours so what? So why is Moshe telling them accept the yoke of heaven, be willing to give up your life but I guarantee you you won't need to give up your life so, whoa, whoa, whoa. so what are you doing here? If Moshe said, teach your children, you know, I'm telling you the Shema, it's not really necessary for you. It's necessary for your children. I'd understand. But he says, you need to know the Shema. Why, do they, why, why did the generation entering Israel need to know the Shema? Again, they're, be guaranteed, they're being guaranteed there's no threat to their life. Gershon, the question's clear? Yeah, usually with the entire Shema, yeah. why they need to know it. Well, because it... it it pretty much lists out the, the positive things that will happen if they do Hashem's uh-huh. mitzvot Correct. and the negative things that will happen and they have to constantly remind themselves of that. Correct. You're talking later in the Shema, it talks about, it talks about many mitzvot, about writing the mezuzah, the right. tefillin, but, but the focus of Shema is the first line. Oh, okay. 
is the line that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Which is the acceptance of the yoke of heaven. Why was that important for the generation entering Israel which has no threat to their life? Is the question clear, sir? Is the answer clear? No. no. What is the answer? What do you think? Liz, what do you think? Is the question clear? No. No. Let's repeat the question one more time. No problem. The yoke of heaven is something that we need to accept if we have a threat to our life, seemingly. If someone's threatening you with your life. So you have to recognize Hashem is king and still go forward. But if it's a good time, so why do you need to accept the yoke? If it's a good time, you'll do what Hashem says either way. Either way. So we can appreciate it. But if it's a good time, why do you have to acknowledge that you could die when that's not the case? Or am I just missing? No, no, that's exactly the... So, you, so you, we're on the same page. If it's a good time... <laughs> so don't acknowledge you're, don't acknowledge you're going to die. Let's not worry about death right now. Okay. But in the Shema, seemingly, we're saying that even if I need, even if death is going to come my way, nothing's going to stop me from serving Hashem. But we're not we're not worried about death right now, seemingly. So where does the Shema come in? Because you have. Oh. Is it like a gate to the morning? Shema. Uh-huh. It's a because because part of it is um, I'm I'm not gonna like try and quote anything because this is just not the moment for that. Um, but it seems like if you in the morning it talks about waking up the next morning. Mm-hmm. That's true. And mm-hmm. I, I guess that would be, you know, that's like, you know, as long as you can say that every night, God will make sure that you come out in the morning. Interesting. That's an interesting, okay. an interesting thought. Thank you for sharing. Yes, David. <laughs> I think I missed that one up, but... No, I, mean, I, I don't really get my point. Yeah, absolutely. You're saying... I if you right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that that that's kind. Of, that doesn't that kind of go with the same, um, you know, the the yoke of heaven, and but you don't really have to acknowledge that, right? It's it's the same thing. If you say the prayer, nothing's gonna. Ha- I mean, if something God forbid does happen, then you know you're with God and you're okay anyway. But if it doesn't, then He's let you. You know, it's like don't be afraid, hmm. which is what you're saying in when you accept the yoga. Correct. Bread. That is correct. You're saying don't be afraid. Yeah. If I may respectfully disagree and posit something else, which speaks, by the way, to the racket in which we are involved, you much more actively now than me. What is the third or fourth line of the Shema? Teach your children. And so consequently, it is not merely about us, but that in accepting the yoke of heaven, we are committing that we will 
make sure that we sow the seeds for future generations and accept that responsibility, which is a huge one. It's the third line. Before we hear about the crops failing and no mm. rain or any of that, it's the third line. Again, I, you know, I appreciate that observation. Again, the, the need to um, accept it upon ourselves without understanding and the guarantee to continue education to the next generation. But, but I want to share with you something phenomenal that we're going to learn now in Tanya. Accepting the yoke of heaven is not about the worry of death. Meaning the, the whole, our whole premise that the yoke of heaven is necessary to be able to accept death is false. Accepting the yoke of heaven is the entryway to doing Torah and mitzvot. What did we just learn here? We learned that if you would, if... Here's a kal in the choma. You remember we've talked about... If, you're, if you would be willing to give up your life for Hashem, not to separate from Him, how much more so you'll be willing to do anything else. So, the, the gateway to serving Hashem is the understanding that even death a Jew is willing to do, to connect with, to, to not separate from Hashem. It's not that we need to, God forbid, be, give up our lives. That's not the conversation. The conversation is the acknowledgement that I would be willing to give my life and how much more so I'm willing to give up on a little candy or, or whatever the... Right? What's the conversation we've been learning here? We've been learning if you're willing to give up your life not to separate from Hashem, how much more so you should be willing to give up on a little pleasure to connect with Hashem. So when we're saying the Shema, when Moshe Rabbeinu told the generation entering into Israel to say the Shema, he was not telling them to say the Shema because they should be worried about death. No, he guaranteed them they will not die. That, that, wasn't, the, that wasn't the point he was saying. He was saying, I want you to say the Shema, I want you to accept the yoke of heaven and be willing to give up your life for Hashem because with that understanding, nothing will ever stop you. If you're willing to give up your life not to separate from Hashem, how much more so you are, you are going to be willing to give up on some pleasure to connect with Hashem. Shema is not about, I'm ready to die for Hashem. Shema is about, I would, I would even give up my life and I'm ready to do anything for Hashem. Let's see that inside. Let's see that inside. We are holding page 110, last paragraph. In light of the above, in light of the above, that to connect with Hashem, will be, we, we are willing to do anything, it will be understood why our teacher Moses, peace be upon him, in Deuteronomy, commanded the generation that was to enter the land of Israel to recite the Shema twice daily, to acknowledge the kingdom of heaven with self-sacrifice. Although he had promised them, the Lord your God will cast your dread and fear upon all the land. If Hashem is going to cast dread and fear upon all the land and you don't have to worry about death, so why do you need to accept the kingdom of heaven with self-sacrifice? The reason is that the fulfillment of the Torah and its commandments is dependent on being constantly aware of one's readiness to surrender one's life to God for his unity's sake. 
so that this awareness be permanently fixed in one's heart and not depart from one's memory night and day. For in this way one is able to face one's evil nature and vanquish it always at any time or moment as has been explained. Should we remember that I'm willing to give up my life not to separate from Hashem? So how much more so I'm willing to do anything positive to connect with Hashem, give up on some pleasure? Let's see note 18. And note 18 really puts it all together. But for pleasure you're talking about then evil. Not evil, I'm talking about inappropriate pleasure. It says evil. Where does it say evil? Evil nature. Yeah. To face one's evil nature. Evil nature. In other words, your godly soul would never want to have pleasure of something that's not going to connect you with Hashem. So the ability to desire something other than connection with Hashem comes from your evil nature. But what, the reason I was just saying that is because oh, we're on the same page. Right. I, that, that was, that was an, an important argument. It's not an argument. We agree. Okay. Page, uh, note 18. The recital of the Shema which teaches the acceptance of martyrdom for the sanctification of God's name was instituted on the eve of the conquest of the promised land. Remember, Moshe is telling this to everybody right before he's going to die. And right after he dies, the Jews are going to enter Israel. So it's on the eve of entering. Since a miraculous conquest was promised, this precept could not have been related to the imminent battle for the conquest of the land. It couldn't be Moses, Moshe was telling them, Oh, get ready. Some of you are going to need to die. That couldn't be what he was saying because he had promised them that that's not going to happen. So what did they need the yoke of heaven? What did they need the kingdom of heaven with self-sacrifice for? But was meant for all times for the conquest of one's own nature. This is how we, con <coughs> we conquer our own nature. Let's put this together and take some questions. We started chapter 18, and this is really, with this we've concluded an, the second section of Tanya. The first section, chapter 1 to 18, guided us on, explained to us what our soul is made up of. It explained to us the three types of people. We learned how we all have the capacity, the ability to control our thought, speech, and action. All of a sudden, chapter 18 came and told us that there's a fire burning in each and every one of us. And we need to awaken this fire. And, and we've, throughout, from chapter 18 till now, we discussed how, how do we take this fire? Where do, we, where do you see this fire? You see this fire by the fact that a Jew is willing to give up his soul for God. Why are you willing to give up your soul for God? Even the most unknowledgeable person would be, where, would be willing to give up his soul for God. Where does this come from? It comes from this fire inside of every Jew. And if you'd be willing to give up your soul for God, not to, con not to separate from Hashem, how much more so you should be willing to give up on some temporary pleasures not to separate from Hashem. Next week what we're going to do is we're going to spend the full class um, really looking through the last few chapters and uh, hopefully understanding it well. This is our handout.
for next week. We're going to really go through, again, the four parts of these last few chapters, which are the hidden love we discussed, the unity of God, Achdos Hashem. We're going to talk about holiness, and which holiness is connecting with Hashem, and Klipa, evil, which is separation. And we'll go through this uh, next week, God willing. Are there any questions? No. Okay, I feel like when there's no questions, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it anyway. No, I think you explained it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a good evening.